Welcome to the Pace and Freedom Podcast. It's not about the politics. It's about the stories, the people, the emotions, the humanity. I am your host, James Pace, and I am here not to use labels, not to judge, simply to hold a conversation. Today, I welcome my guests, Sean Kernan and Elizabeth Ortiz, and we talk about the Weed for Warriors project and how they are getting veterans the real help they need not just through smoking weed, but through resource outreach, community, and advocacy. Now don't hold back. Speak your truth. Tell your story. Change society by treating others with dignity and respect. This is the Pace and Freedom Podcast. No labels, no judgment, just conversation. Hello, um, my name is Elizabeth Ortiz. I am the chapter president for the We for Warriors project in San Jose. Hi, I'm Sean Kernan, and they call me the CEO of the We for Warriors project, but uh, I'm just another disabled vet who's a patient that's been helped out by the organization. Nice. Hey, I mean, what you guys are doing, I think, is great. It's amazing work. Um, I imagine it's hard work at times, considering all the different states with their different regulations and rules. Uh, so tell us a little bit more about the organization. So when I came into the project, um, I knew very little about cannabis. I was actually a patient and um, another veteran had brought me to a San Jose meeting and uh, I started getting education. I was really, really just amazed by it. I felt like a bird let out of her cage, you know? And so I started like just trying to tell everybody about the We For Warriors project. Like I right. literally drove coast to coast and put flyers of the We For Warrior project in VAs and like gas stations and just just ridiculous amount of places. And then <laughs> I came, and then I came back from that and there and um, the chapter president at the time had asked me. She said, "Hey, I need a I need a VP. Would would you step up and do it?" And, I said yes, and then in December of 2017, I took over as chapter president. And since then, um, once a month, we would hold a meeting and um, we fully rely on donations and um, we're all volunteers. Um, and so, you know, we, we have a particular spot. We let the veterans know, um, you know, through private messages, we don't, we don't publish it publicly, but We'd let them know where the meeting is. They come to the meeting, they get a meal, um, you know, they have a safe space to medicate together and talk right. and just relax and come out of isolation and, and you know, that feel that sense of camaraderie, you know, and sometimes you, you walk through and imagine what would it be like if, if, if all of us were in uniform at the same time in that room. Like, nice. And um, smoking weed at the same time. Yeah. And uniform. Yeah. I mean, how, how, I mean, it would be the ideal situation, you know, right. like not sitting around as alcoholics. Yeah, true. And you know, it's funny. It's, I remember um, hearing when I was in the service and I was in the Navy, I remember hearing from like older uh, guys uh, that older vets, how they used to actually smoke weed on the ship. Like yeah. when it wasn't that big of a deal when it was like not the zero tolerance and I just can't like it was just kind of mind-blowing just to hear that story that people were just on the ship smoking weed and yeah um, someone in my family who was um, a marine attached to um, a squadron that was on the midway the carrier midway said that a matchbox of weed on deployment went for $200 in the 80s wow <laughs> 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 talking about my time in <laughs> yeah and so, Sean worked you like didn't that time you, they didn't do your analysis they didn't have that really no I joined in 89 and my station was Central America I think we did UAs like once every three days for my whole three years wow. so yeah we were definitely at this you know the end of that Reagan Bush senior started that kind of that's when I joined and the drug war and the anti-cannabis you know hysteria was in full effect and um, yeah, ironically enough, down in, in, in Panama, when you wanted to get out of the military, that was the choice to get out, just do drugs, because you would be back stateside within 72 hours of 
peeing hot. And, and so, yeah, no, we, we in Central America was every like three days we got peed. Wow. Somebody who popped positive or just every three days you got people. I would have friends of mine going, I'm getting out. I'm going to go party this tonight in, in Panama city or, you know, whatever capital you were in, in, in Central America, because drugs were cheap, very pure. And, uh, and you know, it was the one of the ways out for those people who had reached an end of for whatever they were serving and wanted out quickly. I mean, isn't that crazy though that before the the zero tolerance and before they started doing your analysis and granted when you were in you know that's when they kind of started hitting hard, but it didn't. I mean, we still had a military and a very functional military with people smoking weed and even doing hard drugs at times. Um, and we had a very functional military, but that's not what you guys are there about. And therefore you guys are there to help veterans that are already out and that suffer from underlying conditions that CBD actually helps them quite a bit that to the point where if they didn't have that, they would be doing harder drugs or be doing alcohol and stuff that would hinder them more. Why is it, that the VA, I get that it's federally illegal, but I would think that there would be some sort of exemption for veterans. You would think, um, you know, Elizabeth, we have two parts of the We Fours. One is the chapter outreach and organization that Elizabeth and her chapters do an amazing job at. And then we do a lot of advocacy, not only on a national level, that's kind of where we got our reputation. Um, you know, just saying things that most people wouldn't on social media and, and then getting interviewed and, and doing, we did a cross country trip. Um, and so to answer your question, uh, you know, that there's two parts to what we do. And the part you're touching on is the hypocrisy in the drug war. And, and like you highlighted, we have legal vices like alcohol that are not only prevalent, but socially accepted in the military. Uh, less so than what I was in where they celebrated it. Uh, but at the end of the day, yeah, logic and our drug policy disconnected a long time ago, much at the same time when I was serving starting the 80s with the drug hysteria. And what it really came down to is it's like, you know, we, we love euphemisms in this country. We call things, you know, free, uh, freedom fighters or this paycheck protection program we have going on that's really... <laughs> their handouts to, to rich people and there's a lot of money involved. And what I've learned, you know, not only my time in, in the military, but once I got out and I worked on Wall Street and, and so forth, money drives everything. And exactly. I think that's what's been driving our policy on drugs for a long time, not logic, not what's right for the community, not what's right for the drug addict, not what's right for, you know, uh, the, you know, anybody other than those people making the rules. And we live in a country where the few make the rules. And those few are making the money. Right. So for so ideally for your organization, it would be great for the drug war to end, right? I would assume. I think it would be great for the drug war to end for our entire country. Right. Every right. single community, and especially a hard hit, those communities that are vulnerable. Uh, your African-American inner city community that has received the brunt of the drug war. The, you know, veterans just represent those areas of poverty and working poor we come from. And that represents Latino immigrants. It represents European immigrants. It represents the working, you know, white communities throughout this country, whether they be urban or rural. And at the end of the day, we look at these things, they all are wars on poverty and poor people. So those demographics that represent those areas are going to be hard hit us, hard, most hard hit by our policies that effectively is just a war on people who are most vulnerable because, you know, our criminal justice system does a wonderful thing doing two things. One, um, jailing poor people and jailing the mentally ill. Now, let me, Kevin, these are my words, not the weed right. forward policy. Elizabeth may have a very different view than me because, um, you know, veterans are diverse. So I don't want to anyone here to think that what I'm saying is, is uh, Elizabeth's view here. Let's, I want to hear a little bit uh, from Elizabeth on as far as, what you've seen, how this organization has helped veterans not fall into, I guess, like, because they are vulnerable, right? When they, they get out of the military, they suffer from these conditions like PTSD, depression, alcohol dependency. And I think I, I probably myself 
fall under all of those. But you've seen the kind of the solution is marijuana, CBD, and it has helped them keep them off the streets, keep them from going into these hard drugs, right? Oh my God. We have so many um, success stories. You know, people come into the project and and it does absolutely 100% help them get off alcohol, help them get off pills, you know, help them prepare themselves for when they're going to be offered pills by the VA. Like for example, I had shoulder surgery and I had a labral tear and I had my surgery and um, they were like, here's a hundred Percocet to take home with you and you can self-medicate with them. And I mean, that was like a hundred Percocet given to me, just going right out the door, no pain management appointments, nothing like that, just left on my own. And with PTSD in my record, I mean, that, that potentially, if I didn't have the knowledge about how cannabis could replace those for me, that could have potentially been a suicide situation for me yes. very easily at that, at that, where I was in that point in my life emotionally. And I'm not the only story like that. You know, we've got vets that are just, they're, they show up to every meeting, just thankful that, that they're at a meeting with people, like-minded folks and they're clean, they're, they're off meth, they're off opiates, they're off alcohol, whatever they're off. And it's just, it's a beautiful thing to see. It, it, it's real, and it's of all ages, different, you know, we've got um, desert storm beds, we've got Iraq, you know, from the Iraq war, from Afghanistan, from, you know, Panama, from all these different, and still, it's just, it, it's like everybody was in the same place at the same time and they all have that peeling back so now there's a a myth that if you're receiving va benefits if you're receiving va compensation and medical care from the va that if you get caught just like if you were in the military if you get caught with thc mm -hmm. in your in your system you will cease to receive benefits no, that's incorrect. I actually have um, in my medical record under my active prescriptions, it says that I have a prescription for marijuana. Right. And the funny part is, is in the notes, it says veteran chooses to use non-VA pharmacy. Like I had a choice, like, right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I don't, I don't think I would want to use the VA pharmacy for weed anyway, because I have a feeling it would come from Mississippi and <laughs> freeze dried for five years and look like the matcha that um, Dr. Sue Sisley got, you know, for her study. So it was, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, it's the, that's a common misbelief. Now, that's in California. I can't speak 100% for other states. I don't. The, the, the really only, that's VA national policy is that they can now talk to us about cannabis. We openly talk and, and there's no, no financial harm that comes to us. The things that it will affect potentially so veterans fully understand is if you are on opiates or under a pain management contract, meaning you get X number of opiates or some type of pain medicine or addictive, could be ADD pills. For example, I do have ADD, I do get ADD medicine. And because I was a cannabis user, it was very difficult. Most doctors won't write you a prescription for an addictive medicine because legally and medically they view you as a drug addict. Now that is doctor to doctor. So like, you know, Elizabeth out in Northern California may have a very liberal or at least moderately liberal doctor who doesn't care. We do, they call it, uh, they call it cannabis disorder or, you know, mm -hmm. use disorder. And it's basically calling you a cannabis addict that can do things like get a, a fiduciary financial fiduciary to overlook your finances. Um, which usually it's just your spouse or your partner at the time you end up allocating. So those effects do happen for people still, um, and then, but in terms of uh, actually hurting your benefits, no. And in fact, I think one of the greatest things we can do as a, you know, resistance to this tyranny, totalitarianism, is come out as open users of cannabis for medical purposes. So I think the harm that can become you is weighed with that. I think it, it, it's very much on the side to come out and advocate for yourself. Right. We've seen state to state where more and more states have legalized 
marijuana. And I hate that word legalized because I don't agree with legalization of, of something. I, I, I'm more for decriminalization. Uh, but more and more states are legalizing marijuana. Why is it so slow for the federal government to get there? I'll tell you, I just got off the conversation. I was actually on the um, Congress uh, with some aunts, with some staff from the House today. And I don't think I'm saying anything, but it's official. I mean, there was some hope we'd get a research bill out of the Congress this year and the banking bill. The research bill, from what I'm hearing, it's dead. It will be reintroduced next year. And, and that's actually not a bad thing. Um, I mean, we have an election coming up here in November, and that's going to dictate, I think, what happens over the next four years. And so it's really important. I mean, if you're pro-cannabis, um, I love my conservative friends, but I think true cannabis lovers have to be frustrated that both sides, uh, candidates, aren't, do not look wonderful from a cannabis rights perspective. And I think that has to be concerning. Although I will say, um, part of the reason they were trying to push some cannabis legislation this year was so it could sit on McConnell's desk because he will never push cannabis. And so I do think we have to realize that if we want cannabis policy, we have to elect friendly cannabis legislators, both right and left, and they exist. And, you know, we have Republicans who are supportive and we have Democrats who are supportive. So no matter where you are, and that type of politics is so local, so where you are, you're going to get one party to dominate. We have both sides who need to come together and demand that regardless what your politics are elsewhere, we're a single issue here and we want to know where you stand on that. Right. Uh, no, I, I think that's a, a great point, you know, with the elections coming up. And if you are a, a, a single issue voter, I mean, there's, like you said, just because you're uh, a Republican or a Democrat, right, you need to look at who's going to stand up for your rights to consume something that is unharmful to you if, and very beneficial. And if that means you are a Republican and you need to vote for a Democrat in your district to achieve that, so be it. Uh, obviously weigh all of your options. There's plenty of independents. There's plenty of uh, third parties and voting down ballot, I think personally, does no harm if you're going to vote for those single issue Right. No, I, I agree. And I think something to bring up, which you touched on earlier, and I think Elizabeth touched on is access. And one thing that we have to do besides only demand that they come out in support of cannabis, but what type of cannabis? Because the cannabis that's been rolled out in, quote, legalization, as you alluded to, is tax and regulate. That's let's sell small amounts of cannabis at high prices with large amounts of tax on it. So we pay off the political class. So the local communities and police forces are okay because their budgets are increasing, right? And, you know, the people who run this country, the money, the lawyers, the people who make a lot of money in these transactions, this orgasm of, of Canadian public companies that came into the cannabis space and totally distorted the markets, right? right. And they advocate openly for anti-patient legislation, like anti-homegrow legislation. So we were on, we're gonna come out and support um, a congressperson, woman for, for uh, in a Florida race here soon. And you know, the one thing we've had to do is educate her staff on what's going on on the street level of access for veterans and they're progressive. So they're, they're getting it and they're going, yeah, that's not right. And then the other thing is our Republicans are getting it because it's crony capitalism. They tend to be more libertarian bent, right? And they see the fact that what's happening in California is what happens in California, over-regulation that kills business you know, ingenuity and, and common sense in local government. And so from that two perspectives, I think you know, it's not only we have an election, it's we've got to educate so many of these political class because they're not from our side of the tracks, just to be real with you, given our government. Elizabeth, you and I talked about uh, legalization and decriminalization off air when we were talking on the phone and you mentioned that you're for decriminalization and I think for a lot of people they don't understand the difference uh, would you you know be able to kind of touch on touch on that what it means to you well with the legalization of it just from what I've seen in California it's it's a loose term to call it legalization <laughs> because it's basically recriminalization right um, 
you know, you before when it was treated as an herbal medicine, you know, it could be exchanged between patients. Like, you know, like I grew this kind, you grew this kind, let's trade. And that was never an issue. Now, if two patients are to do that, they could potentially be fined or, you know, um, or worse. You know what? I We have a saying and we called it this, the everyone drug policy alliance got mad at us because it's kind of we legalized cannabis for the trust fund class and kept it illegal yeah. for the working class. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And that's the perfect way to put it because, um, you know, if, if somebody has that source of income that they're able to walk into a dispensary and $45 isn't going to cost them a week's worth of food, you know? Right. Um, and then, and $45 is on the low end of, of, of some of these, you know, and, and it's turned into like, it's, a boutique and, and people right. who who are not able to walk into boutiques and buy their clothing are having a very hard time walking into boutiques and buying their medicine. To right. put that into perspective, the analogy we use that really seemed to hit home in Sacramento when we got SB 34 passed was if you take a disabled veteran, he gets $3,000 a month or she gets $3,000 a month. Right. Um, that's assuming they're not getting social security, which could be an extra 900 to a thousand as most of that will come from SS. I, not SSDI, which is income driven versus if you worked in the workforce and paid social security, you get a little higher rate. So let's say you're making $4,000 a month for a fully disabled veteran. Uh, Elizabeth said $45 a month. I'm going to round up to 50 to make it easier than we'll subtract off the backside. That's $1,500 a month just to, you know, if they do an eighth of weed a day and people, right. why that amount? Well, think about it just from flour. An eighth of weed, Elizabeth, what? I would say three joints, but let's say four joints for a person who wants to put 0.8 grams into their, their joint. That's a morning, right after lunch, late afternoon, and a bedtime joint. So we're not talking about a heavy user. We're talking about your high, you know, you're going to feel medicated for a few, three, four hours. You're going to want to re-up for someone who used medicating, right? Because like all medicines, you build up, you know, uh, tolerances. And but that's just not a sustainable uh, model to medicate yourself. So what we're doing is forcing these people onto the illicit or traditional market. Used to say a different word we're not saying it anymore um, in terms of what we're calling it. And now we're keeping that criminalized because as you see in California, we're paying for Blackhawks to fly around at $60,000 an hour where you can drive a truck to the grow so we can repel men out to cut down bushes. And that's what's going on because SB uh, Prop 64 gave a big portion of our tax revenue to these police budgets, which goes contrary to where we're trying to move this thing. And that's a function of legalization wasn't bought to legalize the plan or make it accessible. It was bought to basically gain control because California had become an uncontrolled beauty from my perspective. Uh, and they couldn't dictate it like they like to, which is over control in places like California. Right. Okay. And that's something that your organization, right, Elizabeth, also helps out with is being able to help provide resource to those vets that cannot afford it, right? Because as you said, I mean, a veteran that comes out and not everybody gets goes through the VA process, gets their uh, disability. Some just don't do it when they're getting out. Um, they forget to do it. They their their lives are busy, so they don't get that compensation that they they deserve. Playing some just I didn't even know about it. Um, right. Honestly, I um, I got out of the Navy and that was I was on unemployment and then I bartended and then um, I got into a position where I wasn't doing so good and I was self medicating, you know. And I was in a homeless shelter and the homeless shelter actually contacted the VA liaison for the county and. Um, he went through my medical record and he was like, do you, do you understand that these things that are in here, you should be compensated for? Right. And to me, you know, I was like, I, I only did five years compensated right. for what? And they're like, you know, these are serious things. Like you, you know, and, and I'm very transparent as an MST advocate and Sean, Sean knows this, you know, and, and he, he tells me, you know, be brave, be brave, be bold. Right. And, <laughs> So um, I have um, a documented sexual assault in my medical record. For, um, you know, I have a, that's my PTSD is from military sexual trauma, which I advocate for other women to be able to um, process their pain into helping other people. 
So um, then they scheduled the VA appointments. But I mean, if I had, I mean, if somebody hadn't told me some, you know, if I wasn't blessed enough to have that resource brought to me, who knows how long it would have been before right. I, I have any had anything um, available to me. To give you an example of how we're treated differently than other countries, since we like to think America's number one in everything, we have very we have chapters in different other countries, and it is most common to hear, "Why do you have to apply years later?" That your whole transition to government assistant that the VA provides is done at exit from the military, meaning you have the the experts sit down with you and say, "Okay, you qualify for these programs." you may qualify for these. Let's start working with you. Here? No. None. Because fact, if they can save a buck somewhere, they will. Well, listen, some genius in government, exactly what you said, which is if we don't advertise this, then we're going to get less use of it and it's going to cost us less money. And for services that at the end of the day, you know, I'm not complaining necessarily, but that are not as great as they do advertise at times. Um, it definitely has a lot of deficiencies. And it's interesting though, I do think it's misused a bit in terms of anti-universal care. Well, it can be like the VA. Well, I'll tell you, the VA is a lot better than what most poor people have. And so you have to look <laughs> at it from that perspective. Right. Um, you know, yeah, if I compare it to my hedge fund corporate policy I had, it's night and day and we can go through that, but we don't need to here. Right. <laughs> so as we mentioned, you know, people get out of the military, they don't get that service because they don't know about it. They don't know that they're supposed to go out and apply. Um, that's where you guys kind of come in and see these people and help them not only to get them the, the right medication would be, you know, marijuana and suggest that to them, but also you guys do help with other resources for vets, right? It's not only uh, weed. What are some of those resources that you guys provide? Oh, I think we lost Elizabeth. Did we lose? No, I'm sorry. Oh, there we I go. had a phone call payment. I had to decline it. My, my apologies. That's um, nice. The upside of the screen, so now I'm happy. <laughs> so um, I'm sorry. Can you repeat yourself one more time? I apologize. Yeah, no worries. So you guys provide more than just Weed for Warriors, right? There's so many other resources that you guys help those veterans that get out and don't get that help getting out they have to go search for it you guys actually go out and say hey these are what resources uh, other than weed you provide um yeah i mean we've had you know um we've had people to come in and, and talk to our vets and say like hey i'm down at the veteran service office over here or over here, you know um and we're able to help you and then a lot of it because a lot of our patients in 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 the project they're on, they've been through it. So it's a lot of word of mouth. The major, I would say the majority of it is word, word of mouth. And then us coming together to support each other too, because from one meeting to the next, we'd be like, oh, so how's your claim going? And oh, well, I haven't really filed yet. And it's like, well, what are you doing? You know, and, and just that support system that, that helps them say like, okay, you know what? I might be nervous. I might be scared, but this person has gone through it. This person has gone through it. This person has gone through it. And, and they're where they're at. And, and so that's, that word of mouth is pretty much how it goes for us. You know, I would it just got, that was it. She, she hit it. Elizabeth hit it right on. And that is, it's really a community and it's a community that lacks other communities in a lot of ways, because the issues we're dealing with tend to drive people away, not towards you. And I think when Elizabeth says it's not a place you come and it's not only people going through it, it's the non-judgment, it's the spouse or the caregiver coming along going, oh, I'm not the only one. This person lives with someone like, you know, that I live with. <laughs> and and it's, um, it, it really has become a community where you, all the above. It's not we have a VSO office coming to us and saying we actually keep everyone away because we don't trust anyone who comes from corporate or, 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 I had you know, it one whatever. time. I just had it one time. That's fine. We, we let the, cause every community is different. So we're very loose right. on, we let the, the chapters develop their own personalities. And I would say that, um, at the end of the day, when we look at this, it's really, we've all been through the process. So we know how to work, you know, to work through it together. So for example, I had one little thing that I never finished on my claim. I'm, you know, hundred percent disabled. 
and one of the wives of our patient, you know, our, our members ends up doing it for me and getting it done for me. That's, it's very organic and very grassroots. We had a veteran, we've had multiple, where veterans feel suicidal and we get calls from spouses or friends. And the next thing you know, I call back in a couple hours and we got four vets at the house just smoking with that person, spending the night. That's yeah. what happens in a way that I don't see anywhere else. And so it really is taking a very supportive view. And so we're open to all veterans. We don't care if you got what type of discharge you have. If you served, we're, we're welcoming. And it really goes down to the end of the day. I think the underlying here issue here is poverty. And that's what right. we need to address. And most, Absolutely. you know, and most disabled vets in the state of California, because your disability in the state of California is going to be your disability in Wyoming. You know, right. it's going to be the same dollar amount and $3,600 a month. Um, you know, that's, it, it doesn't go very far. You know, I, um, <laughs> it doesn't, you know, and that's the fact right. of the matter. And, and that's with a hundred percent. And the majority of veterans in the state of California, if you look at the average, it's, it's about 22,000 dollars a year for a veteran on disability like that's how you know and and then that's why you have so many homeless veterans or veterans that are you know are struggling and and things like that and it's not addressed and it needs to be addressed there there should be a cost of living allowance i believe for and one of the things that's to touch on what we do is community activism we go out and like we do homeless drives and we do sock drives for feeding the homeless and what amazes me what i see is the number of homeless veterans that are not in the system collecting money. I have run into amputee veterans that are not in the system and they're not collecting anything for their disability. That is shocks my conscience and pisses me off every time I see it. Absolutely. And there, there's no politicians advocating for them. Because there's no way for poor people to buy the access that's required in our country to the political class. Right. Um, and I think that's why we need to start looking for non-politicians and, and electing them into office, right? Right. Um, so, I think that's a lot of people thought they were getting with Trump, so I don't know, right? Uh, yeah, well, yeah, exactly, so. Um, is, this, is, this where, is this where I interject that I'm actually um, put in my intention paperwork and I'm running for city council in Tracy? And I'm hey, an there open, you go. I am, you know, it's, it's local government, but, you know, you've got to start somewhere. Exactly. And, and yeah. I and I, I am a Republican. Um, Sean still loves me very much, <laughs> but I am a Republican um, that is very open about her cannabis use, and I'm very open about it um, when I'm talking to people about the election and about you know that I'm running for city council and and people people um, whether they're gun-toting veterans or just you know the lady down the street who's her back hurts like. They're very happy to hear that cannabis is something that um, is there available to vets. Because I do talk about how, um, you know, the work that I do with veterans has inspired me to get into politics so I can be a voice for them and I can, you know, use, hopefully, if elected, use a platform to really, really fight for, for them, for us. And we have actually a couple of veterans getting involved on the political side and we're actively working, as I said, in races. And just so everyone knows, I'm not, don't assume I'm a Democrat because Elizabeth says I care she's Republican. My right wing vets call me a communist just to set this up. The right um, but in, in, in all seriousness, yeah, it, it is, what I have found is perspective colors our view of the table and lack of perspective blinds us to the reality of others, right and left. And I think the beauty of the veteran voice is we find ourselves sitting at the table with people who will support candidates we never would, but we underline that, 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 to the same thing. So I have learned the distortions caused by our political process is one of the big problems. Absolutely. You know, and, and this is, I love this, right? You're, Shan, you're a Democrat, Elizabeth, you're a Republican, and here I am a Libertarian. And this is like my dream show right here because I've been trying to get <laughs> this, this uh, tripod forever. Uh, I've never accomplished it. And I mean, this is exactly what I would like if I had, and I do now, uh, where we all have something in common, right? We all agree that cannabis should be something decriminalized mm -hmm. and we should end the drug war because it's 
killing more people than the drugs itself. So, um, yeah, I think that's beautiful. That you guys just made my day. I never, I didn't even know that Sean was a Democrat. So this is perfect. Well, in all uh, seriousness, I don't know. I mean, I'm a Second Amendment believer, but free speech advocate. I find myself angry with the DNC a lot. I think I'm more a progressive uh, radical than and revolutionary than anything. I don't know, but uh, I, 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 the thing is, if I sit down with Elizabeth, I think we would agree on 99% of everything. So the labels I find interesting because I think we all view the labels differently. Um, yeah, but it, and, yeah. and I think, you know, um, with, you know, I, I'm 40 years old and the majority of my generation <laughs> smokes marijuana and right. is for decriminalization, is for, you know, whoever wanting to use it, to use it. And I think that's kind of like maybe you could call it like a new Republican era instead of these, I mean, obviously, mind you, there's still some <laughs> of that um, thinking that we won't go into detail about, but I think overall, oh, it's, it's starting to, <laughs> what do you say, Sean? Go into it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so so what I, one thing I would have to say is, you know, there are, I think there are a lot of, people in the Republican Party or that are registered Republicans are starting to see the the harm of of the drug war. And mm -hmm. I think Democrats, um, especially like more of the the older maybe generation Democrats already saw the damage that the drug war was causing. And I think there's more and more acceptance of this, but there is this old guard I, I like to call them that just they they made so much money off of it that they would never um waver from from ending the drug war and i think it it really takes for people to stop thinking in this binary political spectrum of the right and the left the republicans and democrats and even with myself being a libertarian i will look at candidates uh, for the 80-20, as uh, Larry Sharp likes to put it. You know, if you agree with at least 80% of what they're for, maybe that's a good candidate for you to move forward at least to what we need to achieve. And I've lived and, a lot, of, interesting point that I've lived a lot of places and I've been, if you live in places like New Canaan, Connecticut, where I lived for many years is when I was in the hedge fund world. If you're not a Republican, you're not in power. <laughs> right. If you're in San Francisco, you're not a, in power if you're not a Democrat, right? right? So I have found a wide view, even within people running within the political party, that it's really local. So, and I think you allude to something. I mean, if the question is, if we remove the corporate oligarchy from politics, right how much would that solve? And that's that pure profit motive. And I think that is where the libertarian part comes in when I agree with you, that what we've seen is regulation, over-regulation and over-government used as a means of a profit center for too many, not because it's good government policy. Right, right, exactly. Um, so we are, actually we still have time. <laughs> so, we kind of hit all the talking points that I, I kind of sent you guys. And now we're moving into like more of this political spectrum thing. Uh, and one thing I, I noticed about myself, as I said, I try to look for that 80, 20, I support a, uh, a sheriff that's not even my, in my County, but uh, I, or even in my state, but he's been on my, on my podcast and it shocks me, right? How, I, I don't like to see the Libertarian Party as necessarily like the exclusive uh, or yeah, exclusive um, idea for liberty, right? I think everybody has a desire for, for liberty and for uh, pursuit of happiness. I think it's just that people don't realize that what does it mean for you and what does it mean for another person and if it's necessarily uh, has to be one or the other, right? So, uh, for example, you know, I've had several discussions with my, with a lot of liberal friends. Well, you know, I cannot vote Republican because they're not for, uh, 
gay marriage, for example, right? Or that most of them don't believe in gay marriage. So I cannot vote Republican because of that reason. And then you hear liberal or Republicans, right-wing conservatives say, I cannot vote for a Democrat because I don't agree with um, the, their policies on immigration, for example, um, or for welfare. Are they really mutually exclusive or can it be possible to find this common ground where, okay, we can have both? Thoughts. <laughs> Elizabeth, no, Elizabeth, do you want to take a chance or you want me to go first? Why don't you go first and I'll just piggyback off what you say. Listen, I think ideally the way I look at it is let's take one of the, the hot debate items and that's the flag. So I know we're going to get some interesting conversation out of Elizabeth on this and Colin Kaepernick and kneeling for the national anthem. Right. I'm a big supporter of Black Lives Matter movement have been publicly since the beginning. That's not universally shared within even our organization at the leadership level. Right. And it took me that conversation. And personally, I would never kneel out of respect for the brothers and sisters that I served with, and nor do I think it's an effective way to start the very serious dialogue of police reform we need, but it served an amazing purpose as an attention grabber and recent results and events have made it seem that way. But I vowed in, we took an oath and that oath was to defend the Bill of Rights and the Constitution of the United States. Right. And so just like I advocate for my brothers and sisters to express themselves how they see fit under free speech, I also advocate for my brothers and sisters right to possess their own firearm and not have that infringed because we get it infringed a lot with the VA. And when we visit the hospital, we get our gun rights denied to us. Mm -hmm. um, and that I take issue with. So I do think there's a, a, you know, this overreaction we have going in society right now at, at cancel culture will be kind of, you know, and putting everyone on notice creates this zero tolerance zone that makes that achievement very difficult because people become tribalized along, uh, you know, these fanatical, and, and it's done on purpose to stoke the division by corporate America and so forth. And those people who are paid by them to set this up and it's to divide us. And you see a lot of what I see in common is when I look at our African-American, our Latino, our, you know, LGBTQ veterans, our, all our veterans, I see a lot more in common than I see that differentiates them. Right. And I mean, by a huge amount. And so I think it's going to take this national re reconciliation to get through it. What is the answer? And maybe the, you know, maybe the founding fathers figured something out when they talked about their state rights, there's local rights and there's federal rights. And I think redefining that maybe while, you know, what does, what is government's role in our society? That's probably what it takes because we, everyone's looks at government to solve everything right now. Right. And I think that is a function of a, a, a illiterate U.S. public with regards to civics an illiterate U.S. public with regards to their involvement in the political process that I can't tell you how proud I am of Elizabeth to stand up and run as a Republican. And I fully 100% support her as a Republican. I will vote for her and advocate for her to, to where, wherever she runs. And that's because I believe in her as a person. You got to move to Tracy. <laughs> I, well, hey, we're, I think I'm moving here pretty soon. So we'll talk about that. But, but the, you know, I think, like you said, I mean, talk about, you know, um, zero tolerance, and you see it in cancer. <clears throat> cancel culture, I think we need to address that, and that's going to be addressed by bravery of both people on all sides standing up and saying, no, people aren't going to, you know, destroy other people's lives just because we tend to believe different. There has to be a modicum of respect at a certain level for people. That doesn't mean everything's relative, you know. We also have to reject more relativism, which is the other extreme, which is that every belief is equal, and it's not. I mean, all you have to do is look back at the Nazis to, to really look and say no that, that, and reject that. So I think it's just at the end of the day, it's a national dialogue that we're just starting to have, and it will play out. But I hope we move forward and at some point can, can, can learn to use a model that – I mean, the First Amendment doesn't exist to protect speech you like. Right. It, 
it exists to protect the speech you don't like. So you have to put up with the shit you don't like if you want liberty, if you want freedom. And if we're going to try to squash that out, yes, you're squashing freedom. I mean, let's just look at the, forget the drug war. What about the war on terror? If you want to talk about an infringement on our right, and you know, look at what we go now. The terrorists won. We've changed our entire country. Our economic models change. We're using our economic models as a weapon now, which unfortunately is going to have side effects down the road when they go away from things like the U.S. dollar as the currency. I mean, we are ca- we're writing checks on our future that we're not going to be able to cash for the short-run gain of the political class that doesn't even believe in anything. They just want to get elected because it's about then it's about affecting the power so they get paid. Right. I don't think that's okay. a left-right issue. I think we all see it. I think our anxiety is manifested differently, and then that's used by people who understand how to incite division. And we all know how to resolve anxiety, so. Get high. <laughs> it's the greatest medicine in the world. I know. I told Sean, I was like, I think I may take a dab before this, but maybe, maybe not. And he's like, you're much more tolerable. <laughs> I was joking. I was just being a smart I know. Man. I know. you. We, we have, we we mess with each other on a regular basis. It's, it's a, it's a hobby, but, um, you know, I you mentioned you attacked all the time. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. And, and Sean called me a flag hugger and, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, and it's, I mean, it's, I take, I take a lot of pride in it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and you know, my, I, my daughter, she's, she's the same way. It's so funny. She's, She's always wanting to come to like our family barbecues and stuff and, and as much stars and stripes as she possibly can, you know, and she's, and then we just, and like Sean said, you know, the first amendment isn't there to protect the things you like. It's there to protect the things um, that we don't like, like, you know, regardless of how you feel about Kaepernick taking a knee um, because of first amendment rights, he's able to fucking do it if he feels like it. You know, and whether you like it, he did it. And, you know, whether agree with it or not, he was still able to do it. And I prefer to live in a country where you can make that decision if you feel free to, you know, because there's, that's, we live in the greatest country in America. And I, I mean, the greatest country in the world, (laughs) you know, and and because we're not, you know, we're not limited like other countries and, and, and a lot, you know, all of us have lost somebody, all of us have lost somebody. And that's, no, that's the key right there. I noticed it's perspective, Elizabeth. She's just hit it on the key thing. It took my partner, Mark Carrillo, who is the head of chapters and Elizabeth loves, he's awesome. He was in Fallujah. He's a two-tour Fallujah Marine and very much on the opposite side. It really bothers him. And it takes seeing him tremble that it's a trigger. And I get it because he ties that to his brothers that died and his sisters that died. And so I never want to inflict that pain on anybody, even if it's not my intention. And I think that's where it went awry with Kaepernick. And I don't think it, I think it was done on purpose to create the political divide was he was focusing. He thought he was raising attention just for, you know, that. Well, he alienates a lot of people who attach that flag to something that means a lot to him. And that's, I think, the discussion, if I still could say in the most honesty, is why I kind of backed off of the more like, yeah, you know, do that. I said, I can, we can articulate this in a way that doesn't incite, and I fully support people who want to do it, their right to do it, but we don't have to incite our community because this means something to them. And so that got me to step back from my view of not only being supportive, but like, yeah, that, maybe this is the right thing to just say, I don't have a problem with him doing it. It's not my issue. I agree with his point, but it hurts a lot of people when he does it. That, that's what would be my point. And his point might be good because the police are inflicting a lot of pain in, in certain communities and maybe other people need to feel the pain so they pay attention. Right. So we're about at that time. So you guys want to give us a shameless plug-in for uh warrior or weed for warriors project go ahead elizabeth um, the, a shameless like uh, <laughs> what kind of shameless plug uh, let's how, see how to find you and and where can you know how can people get a hold of you guys well we have a website it's wf 
www.wproject.org and you can go on there and you can see um, different news articles, what we're about, our mission statement, um, how to get in contact with each of the chapter leaders, um, whether regardless if you want to make a donation or um, you know you want to do some sort of outreach or even know a veteran who could benefit from the meeting you know um and always our veterans are welcome to bring their caregivers you know we encourage that so that way the veteran feels like they have they have that support system you know so definitely check out the website i mean you can even google weed for warriors project and and it'll come up Social media is the best way to get a hold of us. Facebook, Instagram, and chapters all have social media. So, for example, San Jose, there's WFWP underscore San Jose. You can contact Elizabeth directly if you're in that area and need help. Um, along with all our other chapters, just type in WFWP, and there will be thousands of, of Instagram uh, addresses that come up. Facebook, reach out, or do the info email on the website. Uh, someone will answer. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for for being on. It's a great privilege, and thank you for making my day. Like a, I've never had a Democrat and a Republican um, at the same time on my. Show. I'm a socialist. At least describe me accurately. I, right. I, think, I think from the from all the views that Sean has, I think he's in the wrong party. Honestly, I think. I, <laughs> you know what I, I think? Oh, you know what's funny? When I talk to my liberal friends, they think I'm conservative redneck. When I talk to my liberal friends, they I, I, uh, vice versa. I'm a you know liberal fruitcake, and I just say I think I'm just Irish. And I like to piss people off. There you go. <laughs> and I personally think you guys are both on the wrong part. Uh, <laughs> you know, well, we won't go there. Not for this episode, anyways. All right, guys. Thank you so much. It's been a great pleasure. Thank you. Take care and be safe.